This is Catholic Daily Brief. Episode 5. What is natural law? In the last episode, we attempted to show that we're overwhelmingly justified in believing in objective morality, that there are objective moral standards, there's an objective moral law that is the same for every human being, that it's not based on our subjective whims. But we ended without explaining how we come to know what these things are. Do we need to reason to them? Are they immediately known in our minds? So first, let's explain what eternal law is. Now, having shown that God exists, eternal law is God's wisdom, that by which he directs all things and gives motion uh, and purpose to all things that he created. According to St. Thomas Aquinas, natural law is nothing other than the rational creature's participation in God's eternal law. Now, what does that mean? Recall that when we talked about St. Thomas's fifth way, that showed that there is an intelligence directing all things to certain ends or certain goals in the universe. When God gives existence to his creatures, he ordains or directs them to particular ends by which they flourish. Now, in the case of inanimate things, this is just governed by the laws of nature scientifically understood. For example, gravity affects the way a rock acts. But for animals and plants, to act in accord with their nature makes them either a better or a worse specimen or example of that animal or plant, depending on how well they pursue or achieve those ends. But it's not better or worse plant or animal in the moral sense. A tree that fails to place its roots deep down, for example, is not a good tree. It's not a good example of a tree. It's not a good specimen of a tree. To use a funny example from our favorite Dr. Fazer, he says, a squirrel that gathers nuts and can be evasive of predators is a good squirrel, a good example of a squirrel, while one that eats toothpaste and lays down on the highway is a bad one. But again, not in the moral sense. An animal or a plant that's prevented from fulfilling its nature by being impeded in some way is just simply a bad example of a plant or an animal. Another example is, say you have someone who makes musical instruments, let's say someone makes a trumpet and the trumpet just makes like a whistling sound, you'd say that's a bad example of a trumpet. It doesn't fulfill its end. It doesn't do that for which it was made. And again, keep in mind, I know I keep repeating it, but keep in mind, none of this is in the moral sense. We're just talking about things fulfilling their natures, doing what they were designed to do, either doing so well or not so well. And we call them good or bad in a non-moral sense. Now, everything we just described with the animals and the plants and inanimate objects, they participate in God's eternal law in the way we described, by fulfilling their natures. But they don't do so with freedom. They don't do so with a rational or intelligent understanding of the goods they're pursuing. In some cases, 
course there's not any will or anything resembling will at all in inanimate objects or in plants. In animals you have some kind of semblance of understanding or cleverness and desires to pursue things. But when it comes to our definition of natural law in the relevant sense, that is man's participation in God's eternal law, we do enter the moral realm because human beings can understand the ends or the goals for which they were made, those things that help them flourish and fulfill their nature as given by God. We can understand what those goals or ends are and we can choose to pursue them or to thwart them or prevent them or act contrary to them. And because we can understand and choose to do or not do or choose to pursue or not pursue those ends, then we can be called good or bad in the moral sense. We don't call animals or plants good or evil. We don't prosecute animals or plants for doing things. But when it comes to human beings, our decisions to do things or not do things makes us a good or a bad human being, at least in regards to that particular action or inaction. Keep in mind once again that we're still in the realm of the natural. We're not dealing with God's divine revelation yet. So the moral good and evil that we're referring to when we talk about natural law are not the things that Christ revealed in the New Testament. Those supersede our ability to know uh, with our pure reason, without God's revelation. When it comes to the natural law, St. Thomas Aquinas identifies the primary principle and most obvious self-evident principle of morality that all of us has by nature is to pursue good and avoid evil. Now there's not a lot of specific content to that because it's a first principle. But he also says that following from that first principle, we can determine other things uh, in the natural law. There's a certain class of moral truths that are almost immediately self-evident and known to all people without much need for reasoning. And these are such truths as, well, let's take the example of lying. So St. Thomas would argue that because we have the faculty of speech, of communicating with words, the obvious goal of that faculty is to manifest the truth as known by our minds. So to use our faculty of speech to represent that which is contrary to the truth in our minds is obviously acting contrary to the goal of a faculty of our nature and is therefore morally evil, morally bad. Now it's not as if anyone has to go through that thought process to understand that lying is bad. We know that lying is bad. It's just almost self-evident to us. But to reflect upon why it's morally evil, it's helpful to, to learn that reasoning, that we act contrary to a faculty that we have, and therefore it is thwarting the flourishing of our nature. Another example of an almost self-evident principle that flows from the first principle of doing good and avoiding evil is the act of eating or nourishing ourselves. Eating in itself is a morally neutral thing, but we would say that since the purpose of eating is to nourish our bodies, then to eat to excess simply for the pleasure of eating and to the detriment of our bodies, that would be morally evil because it's acting contrary to the purpose of eating. Taking pleasure in eating is not wrong at all. In fact, that also was intended by God for us to enjoy nourishing ourselves. But the purpose of eating is to nourish our bodies primarily. And to act contrary to that, 
to use that capacity to harm our bodies is a moral evil. Theft would be another example of an obvious moral evil because it subverts society. Our ability to flourish as human beings is dependent on our ability to use our goods so that we might help ourselves and our community flourish because an unstable society prevents the real purpose and goal of human existence, which is contemplation of God and cultivation of a virtuous life. Honoring your parents and benefactors is another obvious corollary to the first moral principle, according to St. Thomas. And you might notice that a lot of these are listed in the Ten Commandments, and that's true. The teaching of the Church is actually that the Ten Commandments didn't strictly need to be revealed because they practically are the same as those tenets of morality which are revealed by the natural law and are present in the human nature of every human being. But it's also revealed because sin, our fallen nature, prevents us from clearly discerning some of those moral laws, and so God revealed them as well. So again, according to St. Thomas Aquinas, these first corollaries or first moral laws that follow from the first principle no human being can remain ignorant of them except through their own fault. Now, exceptions to this would, of course, be people that don't have a properly functioning brain, for example. But even very, very simple people can come to the knowledge of these things, according to St. Thomas. But after this first group of moral laws that we've just been talking about, those laws that are almost immediately evident to every human being, there's a second group of moral laws that are deduced from the first, but can only be understood through a little bit more complex reasoning. And therefore, people can be ignorant of these laws through no fault of their own. However, it's still incumbent upon every human being to pursue the truth. That's another main tenet of the moral law, to pursue truth. And so someone who simply makes no effort to understand what is morally good and evil would be culpable. Now, I'm not gonna give an exhaustive list of laws in this second group because morality is as big a, a field of study as human action, so it's almost impossible to give an exhaustive list of moral laws or do's and don'ts. But things that belong in this second uh, category would be things like, well, we already know that murder is wrong. That's one that's immediately evident. But following from that would be conclusion that it is wrong to harm someone in other ways, too. It's wrong to harm someone's reputation. It's wrong to physically harm someone unless in self-defense. So these are things that also seem kind of clear to us, but are not as obvious as the first group of things. We already know that one of the laws in the first group would be not stealing. But following from that, one can deduce from that that one ought to always put in an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. Because to do less than that is to defraud one's employer, to effectively steal. As you can imagine, there's many examples like this that can be given. You go through any of the commandments in the Decalogue, in the Ten Commandments, and you can find many, many corollaries. A helpful way to do this, even though we're not dealing with theology quite yet, we're just doing natural apologetics. But if you look at for example, a thorough examination of conscience that many people do at the end of the day, it's often organized by the Ten Commandments. And under each commandment, there are related things that we ought to consider. That's what I mean by 
this second group of moral laws that might not be as immediately evident as the first group. So natural law is something internal to us. We have it by nature, hence the name. But what about laws in society? Well, it should be clear that any just law, any good code of law, should be based on natural law, which is in turn based on God's eternal law, or has its source in God's eternal law. Human beings ought to rule society, ought to govern society according to objective principles of good and avoid objective evil. And this is discovered in the natural law. And the tenets of the natural law can be applied to various circumstances in various ways. And this gives us positive law, civil law. So it's a good moral principle to understand, especially if you're a legislator or someone in charge of a group and needs to determine rules or laws, that one's foundation should always be, and your source should always be, the natural law. So it should be clear from history that because something is legal does not mean that it is morally good. Slavery comes to mind, for example. Legal and illegal should coincide with morally good and morally bad, but because of our fallen human nature, we know that that's not always the case. So prudence and moral understanding is required when we want to evaluate laws. So the takeaways from this episode. First, we define natural law as our participation in God's eternal law, and we participate in a way that plants and animals and inanimate objects do not. We can understand the goals of our human nature, those things that lead to our flourishing, and we can freely choose to pursue them or not to pursue them. And depending on that choice, we are either doing moral good or moral evil. We also learn that in the natural law, the first principle is to do good and to avoid evil. And underneath that, there are first principles that are almost immediately evident to every human being. We then learn that under that first group of laws, there's a second group of laws that can be deduced, which are not as immediately evident, but which we ought to try to understand in our pursuit of truth. Some resources for continued study and reading on this topic. Please look at the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Part 3, which deals with morality and human action. Dr. Fazer, of course, his book, The Last Superstition, as I mentioned, has a helpful chapter on the tenets of the natural law and an introduction to moral theology by Romana Cesario, C-E-S-S-A-R-I-O. Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. If these podcasts are helpful, please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give us a good rating. God bless.